Second Corinthians chapter five. Thank you. Spend um, some time there this morning, uh, towards the end of our time together. But I wanted to share with you some things and hope, in the hopes that um, this morning Christ will speak to us and challenge us as a church, uh, as a family kind of goals and aspirations and things like that for for the rest of uh, this year at least. And so I want to just kind of share with you. In fact, I'm going to step down here just to kind of make myself like you. When I stand up there, I feel like I'm better than you, and so I want to come down here with you. Uh, I want to tell you some things just personally about me so that you, you know this. So my family has been here for about three and a half years now and um, faithfully served the Lord, I hope. That's our hope. I'm praying for obedience and, and following Him in that. And so I'm thankful for the time that the Lord has used, um, used us here and hope with uh, all our heart um, that we are not ever nomadic again. We would love just to uh, never, never move again. And so uh, as you pray through, like as a leader, trying to pray through vision and mission and those things, you start thinking about the things that have shaped you in life. And uh, because I'm so simple-minded, I begin thinking about the many times I sat on the bench playing basketball, but not really playing, just sitting on the bench, or sitting on the bench in baseball or football, because uh, obviously I'm not the greatest athlete in the world. You don't even have to watch me play. You can just assume that with me, okay? And I think about that, and so I think about how um, how those times shaped me. When I was a sophomore in high school, we, we um, in, in baseball, we were on varsity baseball, and uh, and uh, our coach put us as, as the ones responsible for going and getting the foul balls during the game. And so we made the most of that. We're sitting on the bench, not getting to play in the game. And so we have a game, and we're going to play the game of who can get the foul ball the fastest. And we would time each other. And it became um, known among the fans even um, that uh, as soon as a foul ball was hit, myself and my friend Jamie Alvarez would sprint to see and keep time. We didn't know people were watching us, but we would sprint to see how fast we could go and get the foul ball and who, who had the best times. And and uh, there was a couple of games where people began to cheer for us. And um, Coach found out about that. Coach Boone, Doug Boone, uh, who quit coaching is now is, now as a music minister. Better music minister than he was a coach, by the way. And uh, and so anyways, uh, Coach found out about it and told us we had to stop. We had to stop getting the foul balls. And then we just became fans on the bench and just cheered cheered for the game. But uh, those moments shaped me. And you have moments like that, too, where, um, where you're shaped like that. And I need to tell you that um, just as a, a person, as a human, like I'm not very ambitious when it comes to setting goals and visions for the church. You know, I have these like huge aspirations or this, this, this huge ambition towards like, you know, let's build bigger buildings. Let's fill every pew. Let's rip out pews. Let's put in chairs. Let's uh, have... Uh, the best Sunday school program. Let's do 2020 baptisms in 2020. You don't have those. My simple aspirations are just that, simple, very simple. And it comes from the family that I grew up in or am still growing up in, those simple daily grind ambitions of just living faithfully for Jesus living presently for Jesus and just being obedient even in the small moments when one of your kids is testing your faith in Jesus, even in those small moments, just saying, I want to remain faithful, faithful to Jesus. And so it's hard for me. I'm just being real with you, real hashtag confession, hashtag real talk this morning. Uh, just trying to be real with you in the, in the sense of if you're looking towards to me as lead pastor to give you some great vision for the future, 
of what First Baptist Church is going to look like, I'm going to make it as simple as possible that we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of Jesus, beholding Jesus as our Savior, would be being transformed into His likeness in every single moment. We had this translator on a mission trip down in Brazil who uh, she would say, um, her, her kind of coined phrase that she had memorized in English was all the moments. All the moments. All the moments, Matt. All the moments, Mangie. Uh, all the moments, she would say. Like, what are we going to do next? Well, all the moments we're going to follow Jesus or all the moments we're going to do this. She would say that over and over again. That's kind of my ambition for us or my aspiration for us, my, my vision or, or kind of mission for us is that we would be a people known for all the moments glorifying glorifying Christ. Not focusing on things that others do, but instead just focusing in on the things of eternity. Focusing in on the things of, the simple things of mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. The simple things of producing fruit, abiding in Christ and pointing each other towards that, spurring each other along towards that. And so my hope is this, that you would see that. I know you see, uh, because we live in a, a communication world, you can watch other pastors, you can watch other churches, you can go to those places, and you can assume a lot about a lead pastor, and I'm being real frank with you this morning, just real open with you. I'm not here for my name at all. I don't care to be on stage. I don't care to be the one that's preaching all the time or teaching all the time. I can sit on the bench all day long and cheer you on. And that's what I hope to do. That's what I want to do. I don't want it to be about my name. And honestly, I don't want it to be about any of your names either. I want it to be about the name, the name of Jesus. First Peter, in First Peter chapter 2, we studied this a few months ago. Um, we, we learned that we are all being built up together as the spiritual as the spiritual house and that greek word for spiritual house is oikos which also means family and i know that we don't all have we don't all have great families i know my kids family and so i can say that i know we don't all have great families it's not always perfect and and we can look at the family and say i wish it was better i wish it was different or maybe you look at your family and say it is complete completely awesome maybe you do we as a church, being built up as a spiritual house, as an oikos, as a family, uh, with the foundation of Jesus as our, as our living hope and our cornerstone, we are being built up together to represent, as adopted sons and daughters, represent, represent Christ. We are to represent all that He is, to be this living hope for the world, that this family, truly family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, adopted into the same family, as Paul tells us in Galatians chapter four, or Galatians chapter five, that we are being, that we have been adopted into this family, and together as we're being built up, we should truly, truly be the family, the family of God. Uh, I remember my grandparents' home really, really well. We called it the Big House, 2505 Fifth Avenue there in Fort Worth. Uh, and uh, we would go there for, for many family, family gatherings. And I've told some of you this before. Uh, my grandparents were great models of hospitality, great models of, of people who love Jesus and uh, want others to come in and, and be a part of, of that too. And my granddad kind of led out on that. He had this, he's this tall guy, six foot four, six foot five, uh, booming voice. He, he got kicked out of uh, a choir.
choir one time because his voice was so loud. Uh, maybe you've seen the, the movie Prancer with the little girls the same way, like, hey, we need you to quiet down. It happened to my granddad as an adult. Uh, Brother Upshaw, Mr. Upshaw, it's time for you to, uh, to be out of this choir because this is not, you know, like a solo. This is a choir. We need to hear all voices, not just, just yours. He has this booming voice. And when people would come to my grandparents' house, you could hear that booming voice of welcome, you know, welcome, Brian. Welcome, Kate. I'm glad you're here. Come on, come on in. Some of you, some of you know, you've met my, my granddad before, and so you know this. You've, you've seen this. And I remember a time when my cousin, Billy Joy, she brought uh, from college one of her classmates, one of her uh, college mates, uh, and this particular girl was from uh, an Asian country. My granddad served in the Air Force during the time of the Korean conflict or Korean War, and he has a lot of guilt built up. He had a lot of guilt built up because of that time. Not because of necessarily what was going on in Korea, but because he felt as if he needed to be there also. And because of his education, because of his skills, he was put behind a desk in Washington, D.C. And though he's in the Air Force, he still felt like he wasn't serving like he should be serving. And he talked about that a lot, about how he should have been there with his friends and how he should have been fighting against the things that were going on. And he, he should have been, you know, there fighting against whatever's going on. And I remember thinking as, this, uh, as my, my cousin Billy Joy's friend came to our family gathering, I remember thinking, like, how is granddaddy going to respond? going to respond to this Asian who his friends fought against, who there's animosity towards, who there's a lot of baggage that's remaining. How is he going to respond to, to, this, to this person? He could have responded in a number of ways. He could have asked her to leave. He could have just shut down. He could have simply stuck out his hand and said, you know, hello, and walked away. He could have done a number of things. He could have just turned around and walked out and not said a thing. He could have let guilt and shame and thoughts and conformity to the world shape how he responded to this person entering into his home. But instead, because I feel like, I still feel this way, that my grandparents, particularly my granddad, was being shaped by and conforming to the image of Christ and being shaped by the, and being controlled by the compelling love of Christ, he responded so, so differently. He could not pronounce her name. He tried to a number of times, and each time got louder and louder, because you know how it is. When you're trying to pronounce something in a foreign language, you just say it louder, thinking it's going to be cor correct. And he would say her name over and over again, Granddaddy, you're not saying it correctly, just stop. He didn't respond with a handshake. He didn't respond with a high five. He tried to say her name, welcome, and he gave her a hug and said, you are welcome here, you are welcome here any, any time. Bringing her into the oikos, into the, into the, to the family, open arms, saying, hey, we want you to be a part of, be a part of this, of this family. That's really my simple ambition, my simple vision or goal for us as the family of Jesus. Recognizing what Christ has done, proclaiming that excellent message and saying we want to, with the love of Christ compelling us, we want to be on mission to say we are the family of God, the glory of God being displayed to the world, and we want to put that, put that on display. I don't have, you know, like let's do, like I said, let's have 2020 uh, baptisms in 2020. Simple, yet so difficult it's going to prove to be. I want the family of God truly to be the family, the family of God. All right, I said that, now I'm going to preach to you, okay? <laughs> Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, help us to be present in this moment. 
help us to understand why we exist as individuals, saved by you. Help us to understand why we exist as a spiritual house being built up on the cornerstone of our living hope, Jesus. God, help us to understand that when Christ said what his disciples would be known by, there was not good programs or great facilities or an awesome worship pastor or an okay pastor, but instead that we'd be known by the world, really, that we are disciples, by the way that we love one another. So more than anything, God, would you help us in the daily grind to be faithful to you, obedient to you, faithful to one another, and thus hopefully, God, glorify Christ. God, help us even in this moment to minimize fleeting things and truly maximize you as our eternal as our eternal king. God, as we wrestle this morning, as we think through many things, God, help us. God, help us to remember the living hope that we have in Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 11. I wanted to just say a few more things about the family. When, when we invited people to our family gatherings, we did not invite them because we have a great dad as a teacher or a great mom as a cook or a great grandmother who made amazing French toast. We didn't invite them because my grandparents' house was modern, up-to-date, and had all the cool things. We didn't invite them to be a part of our family because of the things of the world that we can measure. But instead, we invited them because of the compelling love of Christ that I hope and I saw, I think, displayed daily in our home. The same with our family. Our hope is this, that we're not having people over to our house just to build ourselves up or that our kids would say come to our house and be a part of our family because my dad's a great teacher or my mom's so creative and artistic or come to our house because our siblings we always fight or come to our house because we have Disney Plus or Netflix or great Wi-Fi you don't say those things our hope is that you come to our house you come to our house and you see the glory of Christ being displayed through the daily grind, through the faithfulness to Christ and to one another. My hope is the same for this family, that we together are not inviting people to come be a part of our spiritual house because of our orange carpet, because we have pews, because we seem traditional or we seem contemporary, because we have an amazing worship pastor and an amazing worship team, because we have a great student pastor, an education guy, because whatever you come up with, not going around town saying, come to our church or be a part of our church family because Sue does an incredible job with the bulletins. Our hope is, as a family, we say, we want you to be a part of what we're a part of because of, because of Jesus. Because we want to glorify Him. We want to be a multi-generational and multicultural family of disciples that make disciples of Jesus and not ourselves. Second Corinthians 5 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11 says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What we, what we are is known to God, and I hope is known also to your conscience. 
We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. We want to be people known as people who are focusing in on heart issues. We're not just here about appearance. We're not Pharisees who want to just clean the outside of the cup, but we truly want to get to the hard moments of life where our heart is changed, where we're truly being transformed in the likeness of Jesus and not ourselves anymore. Personalities out the door, preferences out the door, all those things away, and letting Christ clean us from the inside out. And if we, verse 13 says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in the right mind, it is for you. And verse 14 says this, for the love of Christ controls us. What are we to boast in? We're to boast in the Lord. What are we to allow to control us? Not tradition, not programs, not a, not a lead pastor, not associate pastors, not Sunday school teachers. None of those things. What are we to allow to control us? The love of Christ controls us. Because why? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, he being Jesus, verse 15 says, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you need to know your identity? Do you need to know your purpose? Do you need to know why you exist? You exist because Christ made you. You exist because Christ saved you. You exist so that you might glorify Him. You exist for Christ. We as the church exist for Christ. Simple things. I know this is really silly. Why are... Why are this is really silly, I know. And you're going you're gonna to come back to me at some point and you're going to say, well, pastor, we do. We need this. Why don't we have on our website who the staff is? Why don't we put in our bulletin who the lead pastor is? Let's put his name in there. Because we don't want to glorify anyone other than Christ. We exist for him. As a group, as the church, we exist for Christ. Our identity is in Christ. And if we as a church can't grasp that, then we as individuals will never grasp that. And if we as individuals can grasp that our identity is completely in Christ and we exist for Him, then surely at some point the church together will see that our identity is in Christ and we will truly exist for for Him. Bill Boss is back and he didn't say amen, but that's okay. Because Ray did, and I appreciate that, Ray. I appreciate that. Selfishly, Yeah, never mind. Let's not talk about being selfish. 347 days till Christmas, by the way. Just want to let you know that, okay? And with that being said, you know, Christmas pulls out out of you uh, consumerism. It, it, it shows us what we long for all year long and hope for. And in 347 days from now, you will hopefully get and consume what you truly, truly want. We don't want to be shaped by consumerism. We don't want consumerism to form us. You know, consumerism is the protection and promotion of just consuming things. I mentioned this a little bit last week. We want to be present. I want you to be present here this morning and ready to be obedient to Christ. Fully present. Not just a fan. Not just someone who's sitting in the pew ready to consume. But instead, someone who's ready to worship Christ. And that worship of Christ is what's going to shape you and form you so that you know your identity, so that you know why you 
exist. Our goal shouldn't be to see how many people we can cram into this house, though it's not a bad idea. Our goal shouldn't be to see how good we can cook and how often we can cook and how often we can prepare and teach and preach and sing and organize, etc., and say, see how great we are because of these things. Our goal should be existing for Christ, minimizing fleeting things and only worshiping Jesus and allowing that to shape everything that we do. You know Colossians chapter 3, that whatever you do in word or deed, you would allow that to be worship of Jesus. It would be all for the glory of Christ, word or deed, by your mouth and by your actions and whatever you do, not just in the two times a year or two times a week that we gather, but every single moment, sitting on the bench or playing in the game, all for the glory, all for the glory of Christ. All for the glory of Christ. The habits we form, unfortunately, the habits that we have formed, unfortunately, I feel like we're born out of consumerism. Basically, consumerism has taught us to be consumers. And our habits formed out of that, being consumers. And the habits are shaping us as people. All of our moments shaped by consuming. So instead of a compelling love controlling us, informing us, and shaping us into the new creation through the process of sanctification, I wonder if consumerism is developing habits in us that shape us into a malnourished, weak, shallow fans of Jesus instead of faithful followers of Jesus. Shallow, malnourished, weak, unfit, unprepared for the daily grind. Unfit, unprepared for the daily battle. Unfit, unprepared for trusting a trusting faith in Jesus because we just want to consume. And instead of getting in the habit of gospel-centered lives by worshiping Christ and focusing on Him, him alone, we are in the habit of consumer-driven lies. Again, consumerism has taught us that we don't exist for Christ. We exist for self. We long for 347 days from now when myself might be satisfied in the present that I open. Instead of recognizing presently the gift of Jesus and his mercy and saying, this is enough. And because of what Christ has done for me and is doing for me and is going to do for me, I exist for him and for him alone and will be satisfied forever in him and him alone. And I don't have to wait for 347 days to worship that, and to celebrate that. I can be sustained by that today, recognizing that myself as an individual exist for Christ. And that together we, as a church, exist for Christ. Habits formed or birthed, not out of a compelling love, not shaped by the mercies of Christ, not going through the process of sanctification, will lead to self-glorification. But when we allow our habits to be changed, our daily life to be changed, when we allow the mercies of God and the compelling love of God to shape us, then, as the end of verse 15 says, then we will see that we will live for him who for our sake died and was raised instead of living for ourselves. I'll read verse 15 again. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is us, church. 
This is we, church, that together, we and us, as a family of God, those being saved by Jesus, those set firmly on the foundation, the cornerstone Jesus, the living hope that we have in Jesus, that we together as a church exist for for Christ and Christ alone. No longer cook for me, feed me, burp me, clean me, change me, etc. No longer entertain me, make me feel good, tell me what I want to hear, do what I want, etc. No longer out of those, those habits. No longer like our kids, straight out of the bed to the fridge. I'm hungry. Straight out of the bed to the phone. Straight out of the bed to the weather channel. Straight out of the bed to the news. Straight out of the bed to whatever we long for on this earth. No longer that. Instead, habits shaped and formed by the mercies of God being transformed daily so that our habits that are now being formed by Christ out of His compelling love and mercy for us are shaping us to worship Him and Him alone. We should desire as a church the habits that will form and shape us to be a people known that our only desire is to worship Christ with all that we with all that we are. Not a come and see our great programs or old or new carpet or great resource room or how well we're organized or the cool music or the plethora of potluck dinners that we have. Not how great our kids program or youth program our men's or women's program is. Not how incredibly cold our nursery is right now. Not how cool our policies and budgets are, our lack of budget is, etc. And for sure not a come, be a part of our family just so that we can make fun of our pastor. That's not what we're unified in. Though I see that, and that's okay for now, but that's not what we should be unified in. But instead, surely we could say together that we exist for Christ. And we might tell others, come and see the glory of Christ being be, being revealed through us to the world. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, which I think a few of you are in this room, maybe more than a few, he and she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Too many of us, and I'm guilty of this daily, too many of us go back to that past old life that Christ has taken away. Let us live for the new life that he is giving us. All of this is from God, verse 18 tells us, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. You did nothing. You did nothing You did nothing for that reconciliation to happen. Christ is reconciling us to himself through his work, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us, you want to know what you're supposed to do as a church? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Thanks be to God, it's not the same ministry of reconciliation that Christ did for us. He's not saying, though he says, that I self take up cross and follow him. He's not saying, go and carry your cross up Calvary and sacrifice your life for the entire world. Let your blood be shed for the world. No, he's saying, be covered in my blood. Be clothed with my righteousness and go and proclaim that to the world. That ministry of reconciliation to the world. 
When you exist for yourself, you'll prove your righteousness and you will show it to the world. You'll tell your neighbors, see how good I am. Come to church and watch. You'll tell your neighbors that. You'll tell your friends, your family, your kids, watch how good daddy is when you're trying to prove your own righteousness. But when we exist for Christ and truly understand that and we see the mercies of God, when we see that, I believe this wholeheartedly, when we see, truly see, the completed work of Christ, and that it is enough, then in that moment we can begin to exist for Christ. Verse 19 says this, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. And this is really hard for me. Not counting their trespasses against them. Do you know how many trespasses you have? Do you know how many trespasses I have against the Father? Do you know how many trespasses I have against you? Creator God says that Christ's sacrifice was enough to no longer count my trespasses against him. And church, I feel like we often, for too long now, we gather as a church simply to count trespasses. Look how bad you are. Look how bad I am. And we count and we keep up with it. Brian, I've got a long list of your trespasses. Matt, equally, yours is longer. Zach, ah, we all know you. And that's what we want to do. We want to look at each other and say, I just want to look at your old creation. I don't want to look at the process of sanctification. I don't want to believe, really. I want to believe that I'm being changed. But I want to look at you, and I just want to count your trespasses. I want to look at the world, and I want to count trespasses. I think when we do that... We've lost hope in Jesus. We don't think that he's enough. We don't think that he's enough as a righteous judge. Oh, oh Lord, but, but come on. I mean, I'm pleading with you. You know, Zach, I know that you're saying that Jesus is enough, but have you seen, have you heard? He's in my office often. Can we just count some more trespasses against him? Now, the gospel says the good news is that however many times Zach sins, Christ's sacrifice is enough. And so what should we do with that, Zach? Glorify Christ. What should we do with that, Brian? Glorify Christ. Church, what should we do with that? Glorify Christ. That's what we should do. <clears throat> I kind of feel like I'm preaching a little bit, Zach. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Not entrusting to us the message of judgment, though there is judgment to come, and we should preach Sin separating us from the Lord and judgment coming for sin. We should preach that. We should teach that. But we also should teach the good news of the mercies of God. We should allow the compelling love to motivate us, to control us, so that this gospel message that we've been entrusted with, we would not be stingy with it. We would not keep it to ourselves, but we would take it to the ends of the earth, even if that means to your spouse or to your kids or to your grandkids, even if that means to your terrible, awful boss, even if that means to the person that you sinned against the most, that you, um, you might go to the ends of the earth because you've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. You might go and proclaim the good news of Jesus. And when this happens, church, when we understand that we exist for him, verse 20 happens. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Not for Matt, 
for Matt's ministry, for Matt's pastorate, for Matt's family. Not for the sake of Lovington, the sake of good democracy, the sake of Southern Baptist. None of that. We are ambassadors for Christ. And here's what happens. When we become ambassadors for Christ, existing for Him and Him alone, it's as if God is making His appeal to the world through us. We implore you then on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And in your reconciliation through Jesus to God, God making His appeal to the world, what does that mean? That means this. We as the church, existing for Him and Him alone, when people see you and I as the church, as the family of God, as brothers and sisters adopted into this new inheritance that we have through Jesus, Christ is glorified. When Zach preached two two messages on the glory of Christ being revealed to us through Jesus, how is that happening today? How is that happening today? The glory of Christ is being revealed through the church, through the family of God, through individuals who say we are ambassadors for Christ. We exist. I exist for Christ and Christ alone. When that happens, church, we are unified and the glorification of Christ truly happens. We don't just sing to God be the glory, but even with our word and our deed, we say we exist for Christ and Christ alone. My hope is this. You hear these words. You know that they're from Jesus through the servant Paul. And these words are not just for Sunday. These words aren't just for a a cool mission statement. That's really not even that cool. You know we're not that cool, right? You know that. It's not just for that. But instead, understanding as individuals, Christ has sacrificed his life for you. And you no longer live Please, no longer live for yourself, but live for Christ. And when you as individuals do that, I think we as the church find our identity in existing for Christ and Christ alone, and thus his glory is revealed to the world. Again, not to come and see how great we are, but instead come and let the glory of Christ be revealed. That is the only thing worthy of looking at, the only thing worthy of living for the only thing worthy of following. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, again, help me be out of the way. So thankful for your mercy, God. the things that I've misspoke, the things said in error. I'm so glad you don't count my trespasses against me. God, and I confess to you and before this congregation too many times I've counted my own sins against me. I know I'm not worthy of being in your presence and I preach that instead. And how often I need to be reminded of the good news of Jesus. 
of the gospel message that you've entrusted to us all, those who are saved. That is not about me at all. Because of the completed work of Jesus, my sins can be removed as far as the east is from the west. And you as a loving father slow to anger, patient, abounding in love, show us mercy today. So God, help us as individuals, as living stones being built up into your house, into your family. Help us, God, to be compelled and controlled by the love of Jesus and nothing else. And let that controlling lead us to remember that you've entrusted us with the gospel message, not to be stingy with it, but to proclaim the excellencies to the world. God, we we want to exist for you. God, we recognize our sin and our failure. And we know the truth that though those things separate us from you, God, in your mercy, at just the right time, you sent your Son to be payment, to rescue us. And we now, as the redeemed brothers and sisters in Christ, adopted into your family, have a greater inheritance than we ever could imagine. So God, help us to minimize fleeting things together. Help us to maximize you as the eternal king, the only one who can present us blameless before you, the righteous judge. God, help us not to trust or lean on our own understanding But instead, in all the moments, in all the moments, acknowledge you. And in word or deed, God, help us. Every step we take, all for the glory of Christ. God, help us as we respond to you. Continue to soften hearts. And I'll just pray this for myself. But use a sledgehammer and break my heart, Lord, so that it's not about me. Help us to respond to you because of how good you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.